T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. A history-making Monday brings us to this hot take Tuesday. Positivity here. No outrage Although Twitter wants to ban Vince Vaughn. Are you ever going to see a Vince Vaughn movie again after he shook hands with the President of the United States? History was made, though, in the sport of Major League Baseball, a scandal rocking the sport and the Astros and spreading to the Boston Red Sox. Where is this? Is this Spygate? Is it Deflategate? Lance Armstrong, Major League Baseball steroid scandal. Where does it rank for you? And, of course... History made on the football field last night. Joe Burrow doing something never before seen in the 150-year history of college football. 60 touchdown passes in a single season and a dominant effort to win the national championship game. Home at home on a Tuesday, a radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out at ziprecruiter.com slash enter. They are. The smartest way to hire, smart to hire a guy like Ed Orgeron, a leader of men. We'll get into one of the great stories in the history of all sports with LSU's title last night. But we start on this Tuesday with you, Ross Tucker, on the road, uh, talking to a bunch of coaches from across the country. But I got to ask you about a report from WEEI, the Greg Hill Show. That Tom Brady's suite has been cleaned out at Gillette Stadium that the family has moved into their home in Greenwich, Connecticut. That's a long way from Foxborough, Massachusetts. Much ado about nothing or a hint about what's to come for Tom Brady. Uh, much ado about nothing. Um, this is the way it's going to be for the next 60-some days until he's officially a free agent. Any news, any morsel of information, uh, people are going to take that, run with it. I get it. He's the best football player that's ever lived. It's unbelievable. Certainly the best quarterback that's ever played the game. And so I understand it. But we knew he bought the house in Greenwich. Like, did people think he wasn't going to actually live in it? Like, it was just one of those show houses that that you buy, but you don't actually ever live in it. He he has uh, a son that lives in New York City. I think he wants to be closer to him. You know, Greenwich is a great spot. You should probably just drive down there, Briggs, and hang out with him today. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, no, I mean, that part of it doesn't surprise me at all. The sweet thing, I don't know how that works. I didn't know guys actually kept anything in the suite or that they kept it in the offseason. I would think in the offseason they would clean that thing out anyway after the season. So, to me, much ado about nothing. I would disagree with you on a couple of accounts, but first let's hear it broken down on WEEI Sports Radio in Boston. You can always get our fellas on the Greg Hill Show on the Radio.com app. Listen to the news come down. 
there is now a, a source mm -hmm. uh, that is perhaps sharing the fact that, the, that they are out of the home in Brookline okay. and into the home in Greenwich. So does that say anything to you? Yes. Let's, let's say God, that they, they are, are living... wiping is, their hands I just clean of the my region. Pants. I, it's, it's, yes. So that that is... The uh, sweet uh, has me a little bit like that yeah. is more of a... That could be anything? Yes. No, no, no. The sweet is... is is More indicative than the yes, house. Yeah. than the house situation. The Same. house, you know, maybe... You know, they, we knew they were moving to Can or we thought, we thought they were, were going to move yeah. to Connecticut. Connecticut anyways. That could be but anything. the suite is where you go, wait a second. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this strikes me as Giselle saying, I'm getting everything out of the suite and we're getting into the house down in Greenwich. I do not want a part of this now. She is the one who is leading the charge saying, mm. you are not returning to the Patriots. Mm. There's a hot take for you on WEEI Sports Radio in Boston. The Greg Hill Show breaking that news and an opinion there that it's Giselle who says, no, you're not going back to the New England Patriots. Let me just pour cold water on that theory. I'm sure it is a joint decision, but she will not tell Tom where he is and is not playing next season. The suite does matter. And I'll just reveal to you a family member owns a suite or at least pays for one for a 10-year deal with the Denver Broncos. And yes, you move in pictures, you move in food and bottles of liquor, and uh, you really decorate these suites kind of like you do your own home. It is yours for what, however long that agreement lasts. Now, theoretically, it could be the Patriots who had to have him clean out that suite because said agreement may have, in fact, come to an end feels to me like since he posted that message on Instagram that he's got more to prove, the only thing Tom Brady has to prove is that he can win without Bill Belichick. That's the only thing he has left to prove. I think this might be a sign of things to come, that he might be eyeing other teams. But the Josh McDaniels thing, to me, immediately swung me into the stay section, Ross. I thought Josh McDaniels stays... Tom Brady knows I don't have to learn an entire new offense at the age of 43. Well, I would say uh, out of all the information that's happened since the end of the season, that the McDaniel stuff is absolutely bigger news than moving to Greenwich when we already knew he had a house there or the suite. I don't know how the suite works. I believe you, but I don't know if it's like that at every stadium I don't know if people clean that out in the offseason. Who knows? And maybe it's just leverage. You know, they tell guys when you're a free agent, don't be going to the facility. Don't talk to your coaches. You know, play a little hard to get, so to speak, Dave, right? So this might just yep. be sort of the, uh, the opening salvo by Brady making it so that the Patriots are very clear he's not necessarily just coming back. I would still submit to you that Josh McDaniels going back to New England is by far the most significant happening so far in Tom Brady's future and a great sign for Patriots fans. You heard it here from Ross Tucker. From Tom Brady to the next Tom Brady we go. Yeah, I said it. The next Tom Brady is Joe Burrow. This guy has done things we have never before seen in the history of college football. 60 touchdown passes in a single season, just six 
interceptions for those of you that are keeping track. The LSU Tigers beat five of the top eight teams in the final top 25, seven of 10. They dominate Clemson in the national championship game. The new champion is crowned Joe Burrow, the next Tom Brady. At least I say we asked you at RDC Home and Home who you got for the next 10 years at the next level. Is it Joe Burrow or is it Trevor Lawrence? Uh, to me, now we have to have a caveat that I think if we took this poll 24 hours, 36 hours, if we took it a week ago, my assumption is it would lean heavily on Trevor Lawrence. All season long, I would have told you Joe Burrow, at least for the last five or six weeks, once we saw him dominate uh, the top five teams. Keep in mind, here's what he did against Oklahoma, Georgia, and Clemson. 16 touchdown passes, zero interceptions. And I know this is an era of hot takes, controversy, and division. That's what spreads. That's what does well. But positivity is what I got to focus on here this morning. This is one of the great stories in the history of all sports. Baseball, football, basketball, I don't care. Cycling, hockey, whatever you want to talk about. One of the greatest stories we've ever heard. Joe Burrow, a guy who transferred from Ohio State because he frankly wasn't going to get a shot to start. His transfer barely made news in the world of college football, unless you're someone who subscribes to rivals or follows that sort of thing. Barely a trickle of news. And this guy did something we've never before seen in the history of college football. It's all about perseverance for this LSU team. And their head coach, Ed Orgeron, who is one of the greats, in terms of the characters we've seen in college football. Ross, let me start with you, though, on Joe Burrow. Who would you take 24 hours ago? Who would you take now for the next decade at the next level? Well, it's funny that you say that, Dave, because I was on with Mike Francesa on Mike's On on Radio.com app yesterday, and he asked me that exact question. And I went with Trevor Lawrence. And the reasoning is, number one, we had seen Trevor Lawrence play at a really high level two years in a row. And oh, by the way, his only two years. Whereas Joe Burrow, he's a fifth year guy. And this is the only year where we've really seen him play at an elite level. Number two, Trevor Lawrence is clearly faster than Joe Burrow. Though Joe Burrow moves pretty well. You know, Lawrence is going to be more likely to pick up big yards in the running game. I also still think Trevor Lawrence has a stronger arm. I got to tell you, though, I'm really questioning that now, Dave. Really questioning that. And I think I might have been torn, you know, might have been swung to the other side, which I don't like doing because that's just based on one game. But it's also hard to watch how Trevor Lawrence struggled and how well Joe Burrow played and and go with Lawrence. You know, it's like, and this is what it must be like for uh, these talent evaluators because it's just difficult to watch that game and say, I'm taking the Clemson kid from last night and not the LSU kid based on how they played. Lawrence really struggled, especially after the first quarter. He was way off. I don't know what happened. I've never seen him like that. I'll give the LSU defense some credit. But Trevor Lawrence really struggled in that game. And Joe Burrow, 
I think he might have had the best season ever for a college football quarterback ever, Dave. I mean, uh, you, you name the guys they beat, the statistics. I mean, who would be the argument for having a better year than him would almost be my question at this point. None. There, uh, to me, there is nothing even approaching an argument, and that's why my jaw was on the floor this morning watching, and frankly, a great television show. First things first, on Fox Sports and Nick Wright and Chris Canty, two people I admire greatly and know Chris very well. When they broke down Joe Burrow essentially as a one-hit wonder, I couldn't freaking believe what I was hearing. When Chris Canty compared him to Daniel Jones, yeah, a solid starter at the next level, I feel as if we were watching a completely different football game. Joe Burrow has been perfect against the best conference in college football, against the greatest defenses this country has to offer. Clemson, the number one scoring defense in the country, just over 11 points per game, and Joe Burrow throws five touchdown passes against them. Yes, he has the best wide receiver group in the country. I've said that all season long. Those three guys will all star at the next level. But to me, this is kind of a Ryan Leaf Peyton Manning debate, and it's almost like we forgot what happened in that debate. What do we love about Joe Burrow? One, he works his ass off. Everyone in that program will tell you, first one there, last one to leave, studying tape, breaking down, working his ass off, always prepared for every moment. You know he has the physical attributes. Yes, maybe his arm is not as strong as Trevor Lawrence. It's certainly strong enough to succeed at the next level. And the thing you love about this guy is the perseverance. Early in that game, it looked like Clemson had his number. It looked like Brent Venables had the perfect game plan to knock him off what he's been doing all season, bringing blitzes at different points, bringing it right up the middle. Up the middle. Joe Burrow made the adjustments. That's what you need a quarterback to do. I feel like I'm watching Tom Brady. I feel like this is Tom Brady, and we're getting to see a guy who has no flaw. I don't know what it is. If he has a flaw to his game, I surely haven't seen it. Don't forget the guy ran for a touchdown, ran for 58 yards in the game, just was perfect after making those early adjustments, Ross. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Dave, I don't really remember him messing up all year. I mean, I'm sure he did at some point, but when I was watching, the guy was as close to perfect as we've ever seen. I mean, it was remarkable. And we'll talk to Brady Quinn about this. And we've talked about this before. I can't think of another guy that falls into this category who I thought was very average last year. And this year just had the best season for a college football quarterback ever. Since when does that happen? Since when do you go from average to off the charts, incredible. It was, it, I can't think of another guy. Can you? I can't think of another story that came this far out of left field into the mainstream, into the spotlight. Again, that's why I think this is among the greatest stories in the history of all sports, not just college football. You got to expand the scope when you consider what he accomplished from the expectations, increasing your completion percentage to be nerdy 20%, that doesn't even make sense, man. I mean, that's not rags to riches. That is poverty to billionaire in the next year. 
that doesn't make sense. And look at the record that he broke with the 60 touchdown passes. People, they get used to the big numbers in 2019, 2020. But the guys he passed didn't play in the SEC, didn't play against great defenses, the best defenses in the country, didn't play seven of the top 10 teams in the country. Colt Brennan is who we passed from Hawaii. Hawaii didn't exactly play terrific competition and threw twice as many interceptions, 12. David Klingler, back in 1990, who played at Houston, again, not great defenses, got to stand back there and chuck it 60 times a game, and he also threw 20 interceptions, and B.J. Simmons, Texas Tech, threw 22 interceptions. These are not guys from the SEC that he's passing. It doesn't make sense. So let's fire up the radio.com red zone, WWL with how it went down and the celebration and one of the greatest stories, one that was not supposed to happen. Listen. Snap back. Joe has it. Looks. Launches towards the end zone. Adjusting. Terrace Marshall goes up. Pulls it down. Touchdown, LSU. Add another to Joe Burrow. And the Tigers extend the lead 41-25. And the Tigers of LSU, a team of destiny and a team for ages, Celebrate on the field here tonight in New Orleans inside the Superdome, capturing the national title. Welcome in. It's party time. I think it's a safe bet that we may never see a quarterback like this in my lifetime at LSU, have this kind of season at LSU. I might not see it in my lifetime. I reveled in it this year, witnessing, I think, the greatest season that a quarterback has ever put together in a history, in a 150-year history of college football. I'm very honored to be the first first caller tonight, you know, to, to welcome another LSU national championship. And i got to say, well, I'm 58 years old. I have waited my entire life for this. An undefeated national champion. We are undefeated national champions with a Heisman Trophy winner. All you young Tiger fans out there need to appreciate what happened today. It's incredible. We had to come with Ed Orgeron as, as the coach, and I know you and a lot of other people, a lot of other people just didn't think that he was the guy for the job. You know, and, and look, you know, nobody has to eat crow. All you have to do is, is, is just say, hey, look, I'm glad he is the coach at LSU, and he's going to be the coach for a long time. And if he continues to run his team the way he's run this one, he's going to have more nights like this. It's so unbelievable that I think that if you had written a movie about this, or if there was a movie about this prior to it actually happening, people would probably be disappointed in it because they would say that's too over the top. It's impossible to have all those things happen, even for Hollywood. But they just did in real life for LSU. Congratulations to the Tigers. Radio.com Red Zone there with WWL in New Orleans. It wasn't supposed to happen. It's a great point. You wouldn't believe this script if it were a Disney film. It would seem too feel-good. It would seem like they wrapped everything up too well, that this guy was a transfer who couldn't start at Ohio State, and they were coached by some barrel-chested, Cajun-accent-speaking cast-off from Ole Miss and USC and an interim coach. It doesn't fucking make sense. This is one of the great stories in the history of all sports. And, Ross, what about Ed Orgeron? What makes him the perfect coach for this moment? Not a brilliant X's and O's guy. Maybe not the next genius like Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator. 
but a leader of men. What makes him perfect for this moment and this team? I think it's really simple, Dave. He's authentic. He's genuine. And I don't think people realize how important that is when you are trying to be a leader in any walk of life. I don't think it's as complicated as people make it sometimes. If you are honest with people, if you clearly care about them and are passionate about what it is that you're doing, that goes a really, really long way. And Orgeron, nobody loves football, LSU football, his guys more than he does. It shows they want to play for him. They want to go to LSU. He obviously, with his background, is very endearing to the fans and to the region. He's the perfect coach for this team. And I got to tell you, Dave, I, I did not think this was a good hire. I thought it was kind of a joke. I really did. I, I, I couldn't. I mean, he was like their fourth or fifth choice for the job. They tried to get other people. And it was like they just settled on Ed Orgeron because they couldn't get some of the other big names that they wanted. And he said, I don't care. I'm going to go take it and, and do some special things anyway. It, it's, I, I really thought, Dave, that they hired him because he's from there and had the Cajun accent and whatever. Like, it didn't make sense based on his resume to get a job like that. You know, what he had done at Ole Miss and USC, he, mm. he didn't merit being named the head coach at LSU, in my mind, but he sure as heck proved me and everybody else wrong. It takes a real man to admit that. I can't recall my exact reaction, but I'm sure it was something along those lines. Um, you know, I don't know if people would watch this story if it were a movie, because people like anger, they like ne negativity, they like division, they don't like positivity and perseverance, but that everything this team stands for. And Ross, you talked about the authenticity of Ed Orgeron. Nothing is more authentic than this, what he told SVP on ESPN last night. You know, we're gonna go back to it. We got a nice week. I got I got Kelly and my three boys with me. Uh-huh. We're probably going to get a ham sandwich or maybe some boot down or something, go to bed and wake up tomorrow and do it again. We just simple folks. We love our life. I love my family. Uh, my personal time with them is going to be uh, we don't go out. We don't do things like that. I got and, you. Uh, we represent the state of Louisiana, so we, we're excited. Roll, Dad, fuck you. That's SVP talking to Ed Orgeron. Ross, you have a bit of an Ed Orgeron thing going this morning with that raspy voice. Can you give me your Ed O? Oh, gosh. Um, okay, I can try. <laughs> I, might, I might hurt. I, uh, I, had a, uh, I, had, I had a few adult beverages last night, and I've been talking nonstop at this college football coaches convention. So uh, that's a uh, that's a bad combo right there. Talking nonstop, especially in large groups where you just have to keep escalating the volume, talking louder and louder and louder. And then uh, and you combine that with several IPAs and you get my voice this morning. 
But I did it in honor of Ed Orgeron. I, I did my voice like this today because Ed Orgeron deserves it. And I just wanted to be able to say it's the great state of Louisiana. Go Tigers! <laughs> Pretty good. I thought you'd be more raspy because of those adult beverages last night, but that's a pretty solid effort. Now, we will tackle some of the division, some of the controversy after last night, because look, Ross, I say this often. I love seeing how my 12-year-old son sees these sports moments, and I like to approach it from what does he see? Only two things, Ross. Only two things that he seen was angered at this morning. One, the targeting call, which I thought was a perfect call. I hate the ejection factor of targeting. I think that needs to be a judgment call in judging by your intent to hurt perhaps a quarterback. Number two was the offensive pass interference on Clemson late in the game. I don't think it was consequential in terms of the end of the game, but I also think this was the right call. I think Kirk Herbstreet had it right and the rules analyst had it wrong. I thought the wide receiver pulled down the defensive back with the jersey. What did you make of the two controversial calls? Well, I agree that it was targeting and that the linebacker should have been penalized. I'm not a fan of the ejection aspect of that rule. I think that the penalty itself is enough of a deterrent to get guys to not want that to happen, right? I mean, nobody wants a 15-yard penalty. And are they more conscious of it because of a potential ejection? I don't know, Dave, maybe a little bit, but I don't think much. I mean, even if it was just a penalty, they don't want those 15 yards. They know it's not good. So I don't like the fact that these guys get kicked out of these games. I mean, to get ejected for, you know, especially like the Ohio State corner, Sean Wade, in the game against Clemson, uh, you know, in the semifinals, like, I, I just don't think people should be getting ejected from football games for hits like that. You know, when it's clear that that's not, they're not trying to injure the guy, I just, I don't think it should be kicked out for that. I think there should be a penalty, but I don't like the ejection. And I did not think it was offensive pass interference. I did not think mm. they should throw the flag. But you also know, Dave, how I feel, which is when in doubt, I think that they should let him play. So I, I would not have thrown the flag there. I think Higgins kind of stopped. And when he stopped to come back for the ball, kind of, you know, he discarded the DB, but like that happened naturally with Higgins stopping. I would not have called offensive pass interference there. I thought that was a bad call. But I would say, I mean, LSU at that point could have scored as many points as they wanted anyway. So it doesn't, didn't really matter, but I didn't like the call. All right, so we disagree on that, but we agree on the ejection factor of the targeting foul. I hope that is a point of emphasis for college football in the offseason. Now, clearly, order of business number one is figuring out name, image, and likeness and how you're going to allow players to, to compensate, to earn some money to profit from their image, name, or likeness. Number two has to be that ejection factor, do you want it to change the entire outcome of a game? I'm not entirely sure that that is the right thing to do. But we will discuss all that later in the program, plus this question. Are you going to stop seeing Vince Vaughn movies after he 
shook hands with the president of the United States and sat with uh, President Trump and Melania, the first lady. The Twitter sphere exploded last night after the actor sat with the president, shook his hands, and people on my feed saying they'll never see a Vince Vaughn movie again. Without weighing in on Democrat or Republican, it should be okay with everyone that an actor shakes hands with the president of the United States. And I am never swearing off wedding crashers, nor dodgeball, nor swingers, Rudy, or Starsky and Hutch. He's one of the greatest com comedic actors of all time. We'll discuss that later in the program. But up next, Brady Quinn joins us. The Fox Sports College football analyst, a college football legend at Notre Dame, an NFL quarterback. He can also weigh in on the team that drafted him, the Cleveland Browns, and the mess they've made in the last couple of years and the hire they made in Kevin Stefanski. That's after a quick break and a word from our friends at Zip Recruiter. You can go through it the way the Cleveland Browns did. You can be really careful and take your time and then you can put some weird requirements on your head coach or just go to ZipRecruiter. Their technology is unmatched, folks. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the right people with the right experience, invites them to apply to your job. That's why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Check them out. Don't do it the way the Cleveland Browns did. They're bound to screw things up. Go to ZipRecruiter at this address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R, the smartest way to hire Brady Quinn on the LSU Tigers, the national champs, Joe Burrow versus Trevor Lawrence. Who would the former NFL quarterback take for the next 10 years? We're back after a break. Where does the Houston asterisk cheating scandal rank in the history of sports scandals? Is it Spygate? Is it Lance Armstrong? Baseball steroid scandal? And what is down the road for the manager of the Boston Red Sox? I got to tell you, I think he's not only fired, I think he may be banned from the game. One of the great guys I've covered in my career and also celebrating the LSU Tigers national championship doing something no team has ever done. No quarterback has ever done. The numbers were eye popping and the perseverance is the key to this team. We're breaking it down with Brady Quinn ahead and Brad Lidge, by the way, former Astros pitcher will join us to weigh in on the Astros scandal on a Tuesday home and home. We're brought to you by zip recruiter. Check out zip recruiter. They are the smartest way to hire at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter Joe Burrow. Five touchdown passes against the likes of Oklahoma, Georgia, and now Clemson. 16 TD passes, zero interceptions. Was this the greatest season we've ever seen from a college football quarterback? Let's ask a guy who had a pretty stellar season himself. Uh, won a lot of awards, a Heisman Trophy finalist, an NFL quarterback for many years, and now an analyst for Fox Sports Good to have you on the program, Brady Quinn. It's Dave Briggs and it's Ross Tucker. Is this the greatest team assembled for a single season? Is Joe Burrow the single greatest quarterback, at least in a single season you've ever seen? Yeah, I think he had the single greatest season for a college football player, not even just a quarterback. I'm just going to say player. And when you take into account 
you know, what they went through in order to win a national championship. The fact that he really never had a poor performance. There was really never that, that down game where you said, ah, maybe that's why he won't win the Heisman or maybe that's what will keep him from winning a national championship. He never flinched at any point in time. And, you know, when you think about his story too, that's what makes this whole thing so much sweeter. His story, as well as even Ed Orgeron's story, you know, if you want to go even a step further and just talk about the season for LSU and how they came about to this head coach and the fact that, you know, he was passed up on by USC. He was seen at other times not being the right fit, but he, he's a perfect fit for LSU. And, and he has led this team to what I, what I believe to be the, the greatest season for any national championship team that we've seen, again, given what they had to go through, beating as many top 10 opponents as they had. Um, and, and then again, the way they've dominated since they've gotten into the playoff and then looking at Joe Burrow, the single greatest season I've seen from a college football player taking into account all that. So I, I think those two things aren't hyperbole. They're real. Uh, but as far as the greatest team ever assembled, that, that more, that more than it looks forward into how many of these guys get drafted, what happens after that? I'm not sure we can necessarily go that far. Um, I'm curious, too, Brady, have you ever seen a guy go from average like Joe Burrow was last year to off the charts like he was this year? I mean, people point out Kurt Warner, but Kurt Warner hadn't played the year before. Maybe he was awesome. Same with Kyler Murray. I, I can't remember a guy who played a whole year, was seemingly uh, not bad, pretty average, and then had a year like this. Can you think of any other examples? No, I, I really can't because I don't know that we've ever seen anyone take the type of leap or have this sort of rise like he has. And I, and I think when people ask about, you know, because there's been so many different discussion points heading into this you know, past game, you know, who would you take, Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence, and who's the better pro and everything else? And I always kind of rely on the – well, Trevor Lawrence I've seen for the past two years as a true – true freshman, true sophomore, and, and he's as talented as it gets. And he looks to be everything that I think an NFL franchise is going to want at the next level. You know, Burrow, the head scratcher, is that. It's, it's what exactly do you put on this meteoric rise from last year to this year? Is it the maturation of all the playmakers around him? Is it Joe Brady coming in as their passing game coordinator? Is it just his strides that he's made within this offense? it's hard to put your finger on one thing because it's football and it's hard to do that. It's hard to always break it down to one thing. And I, I can only relate back to like my experience in college when Charlie Weiss first got there, you know, everyone kind of put it that, well, it was Charlie's offense and everything that helped us improve at Notre Dame and go to back-to-back BCS games. But we also had a young team the first couple of years and, and we were a maturing team. I think that played a part as well in helping us have more success. So, I just think it's the sum of all the parts that they all have come together for the, in, in this beautiful harmony that we saw this season, that is going to be one of the most historical, one of the most memorable seasons um, that, that I think we're going to see, you know, maybe in the next 50 years. So it's funny because after I asked you that question, I was thinking about your career a little bit. And I don't, you know, I don't remember every game you played at Notre Dame. I was in the NFL at the time or whatever, but I remember when you correct me if I'm wrong, Brady, but as a sophomore, you were like a solid starting quarterback. And as a junior, you were an All-American. So 
maybe you can speak to that. Maybe there are some similarities there. And how much of that was you getting better? And how much of it was was Charlie Weiss? And so how much stock for Joe Burrow should we put into Brady rather than it being all Burrow himself? Yeah, no, I mean, to your point, I think Joe Brady has been the facilitator for Joe Burrow, you know, because if you go back and look at what this offense was a year ago with Steve Ensminger calling the plays and what it's really been, it's been a run-heavy offense. I mean, we've, we've always known they've had talented wide receivers, but they, they, I guess either they didn't feel like they wanted to spread or open things up to utilize those guys or they didn't feel like they had the quarterback to do so. So now we see an offense where Joe Brady says, no, 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 you, you guys are missing the boat with the quarterback that you have. You need more empty formations. You need more spread formations. You need to allow this young man, these, these playmakers like a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson, a Terrace Marshall, Thaddeus Moss, you, you need to figure out ways of isolating these guys and giving them, and putting them in positions where they can match up and go win. And it's, it's again, it's worked in a way that I just, I don't know that there's anything you can look back and compare it to considering what a jump he's taken, Joe Burrow's taken, and, and look, I worked with Urban Meyer this past year, and I kind of I, we had some conversations together, and, and I just kind of kept picking his brain and asking him, like, what was it that you guys didn't see about Joe Burrow at that time at Ohio State? Because it wasn't like I mean Dwayne Haskins, who you know really was the quarterback who beat him out in the spring, and he ended up moving on after you know becoming a graduate transfer uh, to LSU after that. But it wasn't like, you know, Dwayne Haskins was a perfect fit for what Urban Meyer had run at Ohio State before that. You know, more of having a dual-threat quarterback with the Braxton Millers, the JT Barrett, the Cardell Jones. And so, you know, they had to make a transition to Dwayne Haskins. You could make the case Burrow was actually a better fit. And, you know, he just kind of felt like Haskins from the year before, the Michigan game he had, had a little more momentum. And so when you, when you go back and, 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 like, talk to Urban about that, he's like, yeah, I don't know that anyone saw this. Like, we didn't see this in practice. We didn't see – we knew he was a competitor. We knew he had a lot of heart. He was a good athlete. But we didn't see his deep you know, downfield accuracy. We didn't see the this, this same mobility where he'd be shrugging guys off, making plays, running downfield, picking up first downs. He's like, we saw it to a degree, but, but not like we're seeing versus some of the top opponents. Um, and so I, I really do think it's a combination of Burrow improving, but – you've got to give some credit to Joe Brady and even Ed Orgeron for bringing in and trusting a, a young guy like Joe Brady to bring in this offense that's so drastically different. Yeah, and will Joe Brady stick around certainly is the question. They're certainly going to back a truck of money up to him. But I, I can see on Twitter this morning several cities on their sports talk radio uh, programs this morning discussing can we get Joe Brady, and in particular the Carolina Panthers, uh, talking to Brady Quinn former star at Notre Dame, former NFL quarterback analyst at Fox Sports. I'm not a cigar guy, Brady, but I sure did love the image of Joe Burrow lighting up a cigar in the no-smoking dome there. What did you think of that moment? Too much swagger or just right? No, I loved it. It was just right. You know, for, for one, a guy who likes cigars, uh, I, I love to have a cigar from time to time when my, when my wife lets me. But uh, it, was, it reminded me of and being in Kansas City playing for the Chiefs for a year. I would walk by that poster of Len Dawson. And I believe that was what Super Bowl one, if I'm not mistaken. And we'd walk by it often and kind of see it. And I always would think to myself, uh, one, how big of a baller move that is, uh, but just how much the times have changed. 
But also when you see a photo like Joe Burrow after the game and you kind of realize the times may have changed, but the game's still the same. And that's the thing that I love about football is it's timeless. You know, we can talk about the evolution of the sport and the rule changes, et cetera. But, you know, the battle still won up front. You still got to have, you know, the right quarterback back there to be that field general and lead your team to go win games. And uh, it was just, to me, it was like a, a very appropriate moment, I think, for given what this team has accomplished and, and really what Joe Burrow's become. And I think it's fair to say he's become an icon. Any concern about Trevor Lawrence coming out of that one, Brady? No, I think the one thing that we saw from him where it was the first time he truly got pressed, meaning, you know, Ohio State, they kind of they got bailed out a little bit, right? Like the targeting penalty on Sean Wade not only takes out one of their best players on defense, but it, it, it took them out of a fourth down and a punt and gave them for a first down of momentum in that semifinal game that helped then aid, you know, in, in their comeback, right? And, and you don't have to look any further than watching Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott, their offense coordinators, that the next play they went after a mere reap in that game. And so they immediately started to you know, poke at the weakness of that Ohio State secondary at that point. Um, and, and then you look at, the, the, in my opinion, what was a fumble, returned for a touchdown, even though it, it would have been you know, spotted short. Ohio State would have points on the board there. So when you kind of go back and look at that game and, and, and measure how much was Trevor Lawrence really challenged, <clears throat> how much was he really you know, pressured to be in the position that LSU put him in, I don't know that it's an, an apples-to-apples apples comparison because I think there's a little bit of help, too, uh, with the officials in, in that game. This past game, I mean, it was, it was to the point where, you know, once they got ahead by double digits, you could kind of see in Trevor Lawrence's overall demeanor, he just he realized he had to press. He realized he had to force things and try to make some throws and make some plays. Otherwise, he didn't, you know, he probably didn't trust his defense to be able to go out there and get stops. And, and I don't blame him because if, if you're – if you're being honest with yourself and if Dabo and, and Trevor Lawrence is sitting there together watching film, much like when I was at Notre Dame with Charlie Weiss, I mean, we would have conversations where he'd say, look, man, we got to outscore these guys because our defense isn't going to be able to stop them. I mean, we would have those very candid conversations, and I'm sure Dabo and Trevor Lawrence at some point, as good as Brent Venables is and that defense has been, said we're going to have to go blow for blow and outscore these guys. And, and I think that's what you saw. You saw his mechanics break down, his, his stride started to elongate, a lot of times, that's what happens when you start sailing balls high. He had a number of overthrows last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Dave Aranda mixed up some of the looks. He didn't play quite as much man-to-man as he normally does, and he didn't play quite as much man uh, as Ohio State did. You know, when they did play man, it was a little bit more off-man and just trying to mix up some of those variations in looks. So I, I think all those things really led to Lawrence being just kind of off in, in, in the second half. And it's not going to change my opinion of him as a player. He's still a young player, still growing, but he's going to be the best prospect we've seen in quite some time. No question about that. But seeing the adjustments Joe Burrow made to Brent Venable's defense, to the blitz, never blinked, never showed frustration, calmly calculating, worked through it, adjusted his protections, just brilliant adjustments made by the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, Not the only guy that was not supposed to be there, and we're talking to Brady Quinn, Fox Sports analyst, former Notre Dame and NFL quarterback. Ed Orgeron was not supposed to be in this position. He's a cast-off from Ole Miss, from USC. He's the barrel-chested, Cajun-accent, goofy guy that people largely have laughed at and even mocked over the years. And it's a great day this morning, Brady, for freezing cold takes 
on Twitter. They've got some great old tweets. Colin Coward, LSU settled. This is what happens when you settle. Clay Travis, LSU firing its most successful head coach in program history to fire Ed, to hire Ed O is the most LSU move possible. And Dan Wolken said he called another coach uh, and an agent, and all they did was laugh at the hire of Ed Orgeron. What makes this guy the perfect coach for this team and this moment? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, given his roots, um, I think he really taps into just the state of Louisiana, the recruiting there, which is, I mean, that's the lifeblood of your, your program. And, and he understands how much talent there is there in Louisiana, how important it is. Uh, but because of his roots, I, I think it, it helps to make it feel more genuine. You know, college football is so cultural like that. I remember growing up in Columbus, Ohio, and John Cooper being there. And, you know, he was a guy who struggled kind of like Jim Harbaugh is now in Michigan, uh, even though he is a Michigan man. But, you know, Cooper really struggled to win the big game, beat Michigan, and, and that ended up being kind of his demise. But I remember being a little kid growing up and hearing people, you know, kind of be like, you know, he doesn't really fit in up here. You know, something about the accent, something about that. You know, I, I think that was the, that was the storyline with, with Ed, Ed O, looking at USC, looking at, you know, Ole Miss. It was like people didn't take him seriously because of his accent, how he sounded. He's perfect for LSU. I mean, he's perfect for that fit, for that culture, for that area, and he recruits to it. And I think the other thing is, you know, he, he really instills, you know, confidence in his player. And I know that sounds simple, but, you know, he easily could have been, you know, wavering or looking for another quarterback, either in the recruiting ranks or in the transfer portal, you know, after last year with Joe Burrow. Because it wasn't great. I mean, it was, it was pretty average. And he could have looked elsewhere, but he didn't. He really instilled confidence in Joe Burrow that he could be the player that he is. And, and I think that's why you see Joe Burrow get so emotional when talking about Ed Orgeron at the Heisman because, you know, he did believe in him. He took him as a grad transfer who really was largely unproven. And, and he stuck with him after a year that was somewhat average and believed in him to be able to get over that mountain that is Alabama and, and to win the SEC and to go win a national championship. So I, I just think the amount of confidence and, and faith that he has in his players, in particular Burrow, and the way he demonstrates it too – is like an underappreciated um, aspect of how Ed Orgeron manages his team. Uh, but the recruiting, the motivation, the confidence, like all those things, like people think that you've got to be a good X's and O's guy. No, not if you have that on your staff. Then you have to be a good manager of people. And I think Ed Orgeron is, is really good at motivating and managing people. Brady, I wanted to ask you one question about the Cleveland Browns. They were the last NFL team to make a higher – Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator from the Vikings. And a lot has come out about some of the restrictions on the job, you know, meeting with ownership on Monday and handing in some type of analytics plan on Friday. Uh, your thoughts on what's being reported yeah, cause, and, and how common you think it might be? Because I know at least one team I played for, the coaches told me that, the meetings would get backed up on Monday because the head coach is with the owner. So the only point I've been making on Twitter is that, you know, it might be a little bit more common than people out there are letting on. Yeah. So I would say from the different or various teams that I've played on, you know, I don't quite recall that structure where, you know, ownership was as heavily involved and any of those franchises or organizations being successful. Um, you know, in regards to the analytics and the plan and all that, I mean, 
I would imagine that, you know, and we tend to overblow analytics and it's, it's, um, it's part of in-game decision-making because when it comes down to it, you know, a lot of times, like it, it, that stuff has been going on for a while, like how we're preparing situationally for an opponent and what our plan is going into it. Um, and so we kind of overblow some of that, but you know, I, I just, the, the most successful organizations that I have, I was on or have been around the owner really didn't meddle quite as much or wasn't as involved as Jimmy Haslam has been. Um, and so, you know, and look, there's been successful organizations where the owner's been more involved, so I'm not saying it can't work that way. I just feel like, you know, the majority of these guys, almost all of them, have made their money elsewhere. And I think it's really, really, really hard to be really great and super elite at more than one thing in life. And I think for these guys to kind of meddle – and even though it's their team, it's their little toy to play with, for them to come in and then make, you know, certain decisions or, and, and try to, you know, dictate what's, what should be happening or what's going to happen, and just because they have prior successful business experience, that doesn't mean that's going to be successful on the field. You know, so it, it is just, to me, it sounds like, you know, you're putting a lot more hope and faith in, um, you know, other parts of your organization like Paul De Podesta in this case, or their analytics department, or other people who aren't the people working with the players day in and day out, aren't the people who make those decisions on the field uh, every Sunday. That ultimately is what you're being graded upon. And so, I, you know, unless those meetings are, how can I continue to help, you know, Kevin Stefanski improve this team and make them better and do all those things, I'm not sure that's necessarily in the best interest of the team. Sounds like a situation that regardless of the head coach is bound to fail, but we shall see. Brady, want to ask you quickly um, about another sport. You starred in baseball in high school and certainly um, are well aware of what happened with the Houston Astros yesterday. The stealing sign scandal. They fire their manager and their general manager after they were banned for a season. Does this impact the way you view the sport of baseball and this stealing signs scandal? Is it up there with, with Spygate or, or Deflategate and how you view an organization or a sport? No, it's, it's, and I think it's because I've, I've always felt like in every professional sport, every sport, like people are always looking for edges. And then they're always looking to try to get, get one over on everyone else. I mean, honestly, that's, that's kind of human nature. You know, you're always looking for that competitive advantage. And in this realm, it's obviously cheating. But I just have a hard time believing that everyone else wasn't doing it. I mean, during the, during the steroid era of baseball, uh, I remember talking to other players and talking to former players, and they really felt like they were at a disadvantage if they weren't taking stuff because everyone else was. And so now the playing field became unequal because if they weren't taking it, they weren't going to be able to recover quite as well or be as strong and last, um, you know, through the season the way they felt like they needed to. So, you know, to me, it doesn't change necessarily the way I think of baseball or even think of professional sports in this realm. We're just, we're at an era of time where technology and how we're utilizing technology in sports, in game, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's getting ahead of us. And we've got to be careful about how we want to use it and how we want to go about kind of governing, governing it. And, and, you know, we've we got to do one of two things. Either we just got to make kind of everything like that legal and try to use it all to your advantage if you can, you know, or you got to figure out, you know, how you're going to create some sort of, um, you know, overseeing, you know, body and committee for this sort of thing to, to monitor this um, 24-7, 100% of the time. And, and every single professional, you know, league we're talking about, because 
you know, it's not just baseball. There's, there's other leagues that are trying to, you know, figure out these advantages in other ways. Uh, it just most likely hasn't come to light yet. So, talk, you know, talking with other baseball people like David Sampson, you know, used to be, uh, you know, part uh, running the front office for the Marlins. And he had said, look, he goes, I always felt like if someone else was, you know, got caught and then they were, you know, using that to their advantage, you know, he was just saying, you know, there's probably 20 other teams who are doing the same thing. They're just doing it better than everyone else. So, he said, that's just the reality of baseball and trying to find an edge and trying to find a way to win. Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame, former NFL quarterback analyst at Fox Sports. Really appreciate the time and the analysis, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. All right, so there's Brady Quinn. Great take from him. Ross, I want to get your take quickly on his thoughts on the meddling ownership with the Cleveland Browns, the organization that drafted Brady Quinn. Do you feel like regardless of who is hired, they're going to screw this up? They're going to meddle and mess it up? So there's a couple different ways to look at this, Dave. You know, on the one hand, I tend to agree with Brady. I don't think it's what's successful NFL franchises that I'm aware of do, but I would also submit to you that I think there's more ownership involvement than people realize in these teams, but it just never sees the light of day. You just don't hear about it because nobody wants to leak that or get fired, right? So, you know, like the only reason I think this information came out is because my guess is one of the candidates that didn't get the job leaked to some of the reporters or his agent did some of the things that the Browns were looking for. And it's easy to pick on the Browns. And I'm not going to sit here and say I think it's a positive or a good thing. I'll just say I think it probably is more common than we realize Number one. Number two, if I'm Kevin Stefanski, there's only 32 of them. I would sign up for it. I'd be like, sure. That's what you want? Sure. Five-year contract, $5 million a year. Uh, we can meet whenever you want, Jimmy. I am ready <laughs> to meet. Let's meet, Jimmy. And the, other, the flip side, too, Dave, is if you owned a team and you've made billions of dollars, and you paid billions of dollars because you wanted to own an NFL team. You love football. You want to be involved in football. I don't know, man. I don't think I don't think it's that much to ask to be able to meet with the coach on Monday. I don't know how long those meetings are, but I don't know. I'd kind of like to hear what he was thinking, you know, kind of be in the loop. I'm not like I'd be mandating things or saying, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. But I'd kind of like to ask him some questions and hear what he said. I don't, I don't think it's that unreasonable. Let me just tell you, if I bought NFL team, I'd probably talk to the coach after the game and just be like, take me through this, walk me through that. You know, I support you, I'm here for you, but I just want to know what you're thinking. You know, that's an interesting point. If you have billions of dollars, if you bought this toy, this multi-billion dollar toy do you have every right to meddle i don't know about going over the game plan on a friday yes the 
post meeting on a Monday. I am a huge fan of that, of reflecting on what went right, what went wrong. I don't know about getting involved in the game plan on a Friday, which has been discussed out there as well. Just feels to me like Haslam is bound to screw this up no matter who the head coach is, but you certainly have every right as the owner of an organization do well. In the words of Brady Quinn, you do have the right to meddle. We'll discuss it later on the program and hear from our friends at 92.3. Also, we're going to get to Brad Lidge, former Houston Astros pitcher. What does he make of the cheating scandal, the stealing signs scandal, rocking the baseball world? What's ahead for Alex Cora, who is the manager of the Boston Red Sox? But first, you can go by the process of the Cleveland Browns. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. Or you can just... Do it the easiest way possible, and that's by going to ZipRecruiter at this exclusive web address. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. They make it easy for you with their matching technology. They send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. Applications come in. ZipRecruiter analyzes each one. They spotlight the top candidates. So you never miss a great match. So effective that ZipRecruiter, well, they nail four out of five employers who post there. Boom. Quality candidate like Kevin Stefanski within the site on the first day. Check them out. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. Is it ZipRecruiter? Is it the Cleveland Browns methodology? We shall see next season how it works out for Cleveland. But we know ZipRecruiter works. Brad Lidge on the way on the Astros cheating scandal rocking the sport. Hey, everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 